Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Michael Gallagher. I am the sports reporter for the Nashville Post and the Nashville Scene, and you can follow me on Twitter at MGSports underscore. I thought it was time for a nice holiday three-way. What do you guys think? Adam Vingan joining us here on the pod. Uh, you can catch him on Twitter, being snarky as hell, at Adam Vingan, writing about various things, of course, for Sport Logic as well. Uh, Adam, how are you, sir? Good to see you. Uh, I don't like that idea. No, no three ways here. Sorry. Uh, hope everybody had a Merry Christmas. Uh, welcome to the pod already in progress. Support local business, of course, local journalism, the Nashville scene, the Nashville Post, all the other great shows from the 440 Sports Network, of course. Uh, I, today is going to be a pretty loose show. Uh, I'm going to ask you for something positive, and I'm not sure I'm prepared. I'm, now I'm talking to the audience, not to you, Michael, or to you, Adam, because I have a feeling the audience feels similarly to how we feel. Uh, however, I'm going to try an effort, audience, to get something positive out of these two men. Um, just anything positive about the Nashville Predators. Uh, make sure you check out It's All Your Fault. Michael was not in a good place <laughs> when, he, when he recorded the latest episode with Jeremy Govert. He did misrepresent me, however. So we've got to discuss that before we do any of that and let you two run with your thoughts on this franchise. Very loose conversation today about the future of the National Predators. Uh, Michael, we, of course, are brought to you by the wonderful and amazing folks at Jaspers. That is correct. That is correct. Uh, Jaspers over on West End, gold standard cocktail, $10 burgers, $3 beers, free parking. You guys know the drill. Adam, you know the drill. Michael, you know the drill. Go to Jasper's, everybody. Support local business. Uh, it is a great place to drown your sorrows. Um, if you're a Titans fan, if you're a Preds fan, uh, I don't know. Any other t- fandoms? Yeah, you, you're you're a Yankees guy, right, Michael? Adam, you're a Saints guy. Anybody drowning their sorrows for any other reasons other than the Nashville Predators? <laughs> no, not really. Yeah. Not oh, really. you guys are all... Oh, this is this is off to a roaring start. <laughs> uh, go to Jasper's, everybody. Support local business. Uh, hopefully, you picked up some stocking stuffers at the Grab and Go Market. A lot of cool stuff in there. Uh, okay, well, I guess so. <laughs> I I hope everyone's prepared for this. Uh, I would like to start with being misrepresented on the "It's All Your Fault" podcast. Michael Gallagher said that I am fine with the Nashville Predators. Waiting till the end of the season to rebuild. That is not true. Did you say that on It's All Your Fault podcast, which everyone should go rate, review, and subscribe to? Well, since you're so up in arms about it, I'm assuming that I did. <laughs> Maybe I misunderstood what you said when we recorded the Gold Standard last week, but I, I am in favor of doing the rebuild now and start trading away pieces now. You said, I think you made a case for waiting until the trade deadline, but I'm pretty sure you said after the season makes the most sense to start the rebuild. It's all about how you define the rebuild. And that is, I don't think you can acquire a new general manager and acquire a new head coach in the middle of the season. I think you can trade all of the players away before the trade deadline. Okay, maybe maybe so, that's what I was remembering and I, I didn't I didn't properly attribute what you said. I, I think you were I think that might have been what you said. You wait to to find a new head coach and or GM at the end of the season. And I, I was I was equating the rebuild with starting getting rid of players right now. So I, I apologize for misrepresenting <laughs> you for, for the several hundred people that, that listen to the podcast <laughs> that, that now don't like you because you want to wait till the end of the season. It's okay. Uh, no, it's 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 very normal for the audience to dislike my takes. It's a, it's part of the job. Now I will say, and, and Adam, I assume you will help convince people of this. 
Uh, I am willing to accelerate my calendar to some degree after watching the Predators give up yet another goal in the final minute of the game to cost themselves. Um, so I'm willing to acknowledge potentially that we should accelerate the calendar to maybe an earlier date. I think Gover said January 15th. I'm willing to discuss that and, and I'm willing to be flexible on that. But can either of you please, for the love of God, say something positive about this team? They are 9-2-5 and five in one-goal games. That's a lot of wins, not a lot of losses in one-goal games. Uh, UC Saros is exceptional lately. I think he is 8-4-4 four, and four since being pulled against Seattle. 9-26 save percentage, 245 goals against average. Give me some, give the fans something good, Adam. Just some something good. Give them something good. Um not your yeah. <laughs> That's right. Um, something good. Really, the only thing I can think of is the goaltending. Uh, UC Soros, as you as you just said, after a bit of a rough start to the season, ha- has been has been phenomenal. Uh, unfortunately, the rest of his teammates are letting him down. Um, Kevin Lankinen has surprisingly been effective this season. When the Predators signed him in the offseason, I was very skeptical about that just because of how bad he had been in the previous couple of seasons with the Blackhawks. But of course, you had to um, you had to leave room for the possibility that the reason why he was so bad was because he was playing behind such a porous defense. Um, and I've been pleasantly surprised by the uh, the play of Kevin Lincoln. And I can only imagine where this team would be if not for its goaltending. This team would be one of the worst teams in the NHL. If not for UC Soros and Kevin Lincoln, and to an extent, I think this team would be bottom five in the NHL. Um, and they're and they're pretty much there. I mean, they're close, they're close to being that anyway but they would be entrenched in the basement of the NHL if not for their goaltenders. So if you're looking for something to feel good about, it's the fact that UC Soros and Kevin Lankinen are preventing this team from being God-awful. Then again, for many Predators fans who are listening to this who want the team to be bad so they can win a potential lottery pick, UC Soros and Kevin Lankinen are screwing that up for you. Uh, it's a, it's open to interpretation, but if you're looking for something positive, the goaltending has been good. Otherwise, I've seen teams suck before, but they are the suckiest bunch of sucks that ever sucked. Mm, okay, well, I think we'll have to expand on that in just a minute. Michael, give me something good. Give the people something positive. Well, I, I was initially going to say they're not the Chicago Blackhawks, but to Adam's point, if they were, they would have <laughs> a really good shot at Connor Bedard, so... That's what I'm saying. You too, man. Uh, you both the two of you guys. I, 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 I'm i going to go Cody Glass. I mean, this is a relatively small sample size and more of a, a recency effect, but four points in his last four games. I, I, he was a healthy scratch for I don't know how many games in a row. I think we're, we're kind of seeing what – I'm not saying he's he's on, on the track to being an elite forward, but I think we're seeing a little bit of why he was drafted six overall and, and kind of what the upside the Predators saw when they, when they traded for him. So I'm, I'm going to go Cody Glass. He, he's been surprisingly productive the last handful of games. Okay, I just want to say that I am not one who is prone to hyperbole. So maybe they aren't the suckiest bunch of sucks they, that ever sucked, but they're not good. Um, you know, watching this team... From afar, I have been very unimpressed. And just to give you a sense of things, so right now, as we record this on Wednesday afternoon before the game's on Wednesday, 
the Predators, in terms of points, are tied for 24th in the NHL with Ottawa and Montreal. To my point about goaltending, I think this team would probably be under would they this team would definitely be under 30 points standing points if not for their goalies. Uh, I, I I don't they wouldn't be as bad as Chicago or Anaheim, but they'd probably be as bad as San Jose, Philadelphia, who were 29th and 28th respectively. Um but yeah, it's just you know, this, you know, we we have all watched up close and, and afar as well about how this team has chosen to operate over the past couple of years, you know, and I, and in hindsight, I, I certainly was uh, hoodwinked, I guess you could say, by their strong finish to the COVID shortened season and uh, their strong start. Uh, to last season. I actually pulled these numbers just for this show. I just want to give you a sense of where things have gone for the Predators over the past almost calendar year. So if do you guys remember that game against Colorado in mid-January last season? I think it was a 5-4 overtime win, Predators against the Avalanche. The Predators yeah. were 24-11-2 on that day, on January 11th of this, this year, last season. That is a 676 points percentage. They were the best team in the Western Conference after that game. Since then, so since their, 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 the game after that, which was a loss to Buffalo, through now, the Predators are 35, 33, and 10. That is a 513 points percentage. And that, that is tied, that, excuse me, that is outright 21st in the NHL over that span. So nine so, other teams are more sucky. Yeah. So they are. Okay. So what I'm trying to say is. All right. They're See, not the positive. Sucky bunch of sucks that ever sucked, but they're they're not good. Like this team objectively is a is a less than average hockey team. Period. So I'll give you my one piece of positive to try to because I because because Gover and I think he's consistent, been pretty consistent about this. And I want to ask you guys about the the star power and the high priced numbers because I know you and Gover have talked a lot about this, and Jeremy Gover's very clear on I don't expect more than 70 points from Roman Yossi or Phil Forsberg or Matt Duchesne and I would argue they're getting paid like they should produce more than that and so I'm I'm curious if they do get 60 points from Johansson and Granlin 70 points from Yossi Duchesne and Forsberg uh, uh, like is that good enough for this team is that what they were supposed to do or are we asking them are they supposed to do more are they getting paid like they're supposed to do more in terms of how they're contributing to team success, Michael. I think if you're paying them that much, I mean, you're giving Matt Duchesne eight million a year. You're expect you're paying him to be a thirty goal scorer. If you're giving Philip Forsberg eight and a half million a year, you're paying him to be a consistent forty goal scorer. So, I I think it's subjective. I think David Poyle would be happy with those numbers, paying him what he is. But I think the the fans want more, and rightfully so. They should they should be wanting to get more, and it, it's it's. It's a tricky situation because the narrative this season has been the stars aren't producing like the stars, which isn't exactly true. Forsberg's got 26 points in 33 games. Duchesne, 26 points, 32 games. Yossi, 26 points, 33 games. So that it's not so far off from a point-per-game basis that it's it's really standing out. And, and I said this on It's All Your Fault. I think, I think that it's not that the stars aren't producing like the stars. It's that the Predators aren't winning games because of those stars. Yeah. And, I, and I say that because... They have 10 game-winning goals this year, three by Yossi, and then seven players tied with one. Last year, out of the 42 game-winning goals they had, Forsberg had eight, Duchesne had six, Johansson had six, Janot had five, Granlin, Tomasino had three, Yossi had two. 
they were they were clearly winning the games because the stars were going out and winning those games for them. That's not been the case this year, and I, and I think that's what the issue is with all pretty much anyone in the top six. I think that's what the issue is probably going to continue to be until there's some sort of cohesion in that top six because John Hines just keeps throwing darts, trying to figure out, trying to get us assemble his top six on a night to night basis. So I think that's the large issue with the forwards. Yeah. I, I don't think they're they're not performing to their contract. I think they're probably giving you the bare minimum of, of what they should be to to be playing to that contract. But I think if you're paying them that much, they should be producing more than than just the status quo. Specifically, specifically to add on to Michael's point, goal scoring, because points wise, as you said, Forsberg, 26 and 26 points in 33 games, Duchesne, 26 points in 32 games, Yossi, 26 points in 33 games. Forsberg just scored his 10th goal of the season last night, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Matt Duchesne, yeah. 10 goals. Uh, Roman Yossi has seven goals. Nino Niederreiter, to his credit, leads the team with 11 goals. They have three players this season, Niederreiter, Forsberg, and Duchesne. That have double digit goals last season. As I pull this up, they had 10 players with double digit goals to Shane Forsberg, Johansson, Janot, Yossi, Trennan, Cunnan, Tolvanen, Tomasino, Luke and Granlund. So the, so to Michael's point in terms of just points per game, they're not, they're, they're performing as, as Michael said, probably to the, to the minimum that they, they yeah. should be, but goal scoring wise, they are significantly off of their paces from last year. So, so, so I, think I, am, that, I think that's po- important to point out. So the reason I ask that, because I'm layering the, the conversations here, because I'm just trying to hold off the two of you from just like going off on this franchise for a second. I just, I'm trying to hold off because hockey's a funny game. It's a strange game. You can get on a hot streak and you can win six, seven, eight, 10, 12 games in a, in a month period of time. And you can change your lot in the standings very quickly, both positively or negatively. You can lose a lot of games. It happens very quickly. This Preds team has been very inconsistent. So the reason I mention the stars producing and the goal scoring, and the reason I mentioned the one goal games earlier, which we've talked a lot about on, on, on this show, and it's all your fault. They're nine, two and five. Ten of those games have gone into extra time, into overtime shootouts or, 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 or um, overtime wins or losses. Four of them, they won in regulation. Uh, five of them they won in overtime or shootouts, and only two times have they lost in regulation in, in, in terms of one-goal games. So the, again, they're 9-2-5 and five in one-goal games. If we are talking about just 5% more production from the best players or 5% more production from the second-tier players, do those do those one-goal games... Like, is that a sign that this is a team that is good enough to compete with Winnipeg recently in a one-goal loss, Colorado in a one-goal loss, Dallas with a one-goal loss? Do you see that as positive performance as positive play as close to turning it around or is it this is the best they've got and they've got a pretty good record in one goal games we can't expect them to do any more than what they're what they're doing in these tough situations I think against, against good side, teams i think the flip side to that Braden, about their record in one goal games is that they're not good enough offensively to win by multiple goals like that's yeah. That's I yep. think that is that is the flip side. It, it's not a bad thing that they can win one goal games. Don't get me wrong, but I think it's also a symptom of the fact that this team is just unable to score goals on a consistent basis. They don't really have. They don't have. They don't have the scoring capability. Capability. Excuse me. This season to beat teams by multiple goals. And, and to your point, the Predators have fourteen wins this season. Right, fourteen. And how many of those, I think, 
I think of those 14, four of four of them are against teams that are currently in playoff position. They beat the Rangers in, in mid-November before the Rangers turned things around. They beat the Wild in, in mid-November as well. They had a miracle victory against the Devils. And, how many and they, of those were how many of those were regulation? Like a couple? Two. They two. beat the Rangers 2-1 in regulation and Minnesota 2-1 in regulation. I thought they, they beat New Jersey Devils. in regulation. They beat the Devils 4-3 in overtime. They okay. they had the 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 buzzer beater to That's force right. in overtime, then one in overtime, and they beat the Oilers in overtime. So two, so two That's, play so two total wins all season in regulation over playoff teams. Correct. Teams that are in playoff mm. position mm. as we record this. Okay. Four or fourteen. It's very, it's very Titans-esque. In the sense that the Titans are beating the teams they're supposed to beat and losing to the good teams. The the Predators are able to beat the bad teams like San Jose, like Vancouver, like Arizona, like Anaheim, though they did yeah. need overtime and they needed a shootout to beat Arizona and overtime to beat Anaheim. Um, but they're and they they can kind of keep up for most of the game with better teams. They're not getting they're not getting their asses kicked regularly. But they're they're not good enough to keep up with no, the Dallas's, Winnipeg's, etc. They, they are holding on for for dear life. And Michael, this brings me. I was kind of, I was mostly tongue in cheek, joking about what you guys said um, in terms of how I think they should hold off in terms of the rebuild. Uh, I do think the trade deadline is the drop dead mark if they are clearly not a, a playoff team and not in the in the hunt for this and don't feel like they're more than a, a first round exit type of team. Then I think you need to 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 start the the complete and total teardown of the franchise that we've talked about now for like the better part of two years. So I want to make sure, I, I kind of was kidding a little bit about that. What I am going to say is that I'm willing to move that up to the road trip that's coming up. They're going to play Anaheim in Vegas, then they play Montreal at home, and then they're going to play five straight at home. That's through January 12th. If we don't feel like we've seen the signs of life by then, I am okay with them starting to tear some stuff down. And this is why. Goaltending is, is a big part of this because they're carrying them. 34 goals allowed in the third period. It's the worst of for, for any of the three periods for the Predators. 23 goals scored for the National Predators. So a team that's bad on offense is, is worse in the third period than they have been all season long. They give up more goals in the third period than they do in the first two periods. They're 29th in the power play. They're 30th in goal scoring. Like it, They are... They're bad on offense, and they're bad at the worst possible time on offense, and we saw that against Dallas on Tuesday night. I don't know how they turn that around in a month and a half. I, I don't know how that... I, I, I'm starting to... I'm pretty conservative and patient when it comes to this stuff, and I am... I'm, I'm willing to move it up from the trade deadline to like even mid-January now at this point. Yeah, and I, I think the thing too... I mean, the offense is just so bad, and there's, there's no, there's no clear-cut solution to fixing it right now. And you can call it Philip Tomasino, but he's he's not single-handedly going to come in and fix this offense. The Predators have scored the eighth fewest goals in the first period, the fifth fewest goals in the second period, and the fewest goals in the third period. <laughs> Those numbers are not going to get better just by calling up your, your top prospect. And I, you can move it up, you can push it back. I do think that the trade deadline is the drop-off date for allowing this team to try to make a run. But 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 they are the Predators are who they are. They're not going to get better. And this is with outstanding goaltending. If the goaltending was just average, like Adam yeah. said, this would be a bottom five team. They wouldn't they wouldn't be competitive in a lot of these games. So if, if UC Saros or Kevin Lincoln and you know somehow regresses to the mean a little bit, like things are going to get worse because they don't have the offense. They don't have the horses to keep up with these other teams. So and and, and it, say they do get hot and they go on a seven or an eight game win streak and they somehow get back into the play. What good does making the playoffs do this year with this roster? 
to to Adam's point in the in the story he wrote at the end of the season, like the Predators have to get worse before they can get better, and that starts with tearing this roster, gutting it, and rebuilding it. And I, I think that's just you can trade Granlin and probably get something back in return. That's maybe a draft pick or a, a low level prospect, maybe Fabro. Like you have some pieces you can start to to trade out, trade away, and get some value back, and you can start to build rebuild this team for next year. And I think that's a smart way to go. Because even if this team goes on a run and they do get into the playoffs, it's just going to be a repeat of what happened in the playoffs against Colorado last year. And I, I don't understand how making the playoffs and having these first round exits makes this this franchise better and inspires the fan base to go out and spend money on, on this team. Yeah, uh, this team is nine and 14 in regulation. They are two, five and three in their last 10. If they continue on a two, five and three pace over the next couple of weeks, I think you have to seriously consider moving pieces. And, and the three of us in various places have talked about what that looks like. By the way, go to Jasper's, everybody. Um, I, I, I did hear Gover say this and I had thought about it before and it's partly why I'm willing to move up the calendar. If, if these top two prospects, Bedard and, um, uh, what's Antelli. the, Antelli, if these two guys are, are truly as good as we think they are. And, and generally hockey prospects hit pretty well that the top, the guys that are the number one pick or the number two pick, like it's not a lot of like Ryan Leafs for, for you kids that don't know who that is. Go look it up. Um, there's not a lot of Ryan Leafs when it comes to the number one overall pick in the NHL or the number two overall pick. Generally, if you're Sidney Crosby, you turn out to be Sidney freaking Crosby. So Bedard and, and these guys, they're they're very real. And Chicago is very clearly trying to acquire Connor Bedard. <laughs> and to have the draft in your own building with the future like person that's going to beat your franchise over and over and over again, the way Kane and Taves have done, does that change the way does ownership even understand that? Like, do you guys think that ownership even understands that they have a chance to go get a or like a franchise changing player if they just suck hard enough? <laughs> and if not, that guy's probably going to go to Chicago or Arizona would, in the division. That would require ownership to actually seem to care about the the direction of the the on ice product of the hockey team. Um, you know, I wasn't covering the team anymore when the decision when the when the news broke that that Bill Haslam was was buying into the ownership group but I did listen to the news conferences out of that and I know that Herb Fritch was asked a lot about David Poyle and and I think the quote was to paraphrase David's the hockey expert we let him do that and uh I think ownership is going I mean as I as I said last season you know, David Poyle has the job security of a Supreme Court justice. Um, I, I, I think ownership has just decided that it is going to allow David Poyle to be GM until he doesn't want to be GM anymore. And I can't imagine a situation where David Poyle in his mid-70s, who has been a general manager for four decades and has been to two conference finals, I believe, and one Stanley Cup final in four decades at this particular job, um, I can't imagine a situation where he is going to uh, he is going to freely uh, tear things down. Um, so I think a lot of Predators fans are hoping, and I've heard this a lot, you know, listening to the Gold Standard and It's All Your Fault and other places as well. That there's this, I think there's this hope that once Bill Haslam becomes uh, majority owner, that he's going to clean house. Uh, I think that is wishful thinking. Um, I, I really just think that David Poyle is going to be GM until he decides not to be GM anymore. I don't think anybody in ownership 
has the fortitude to make the decision to tell David Poyle, you can't do this anymore. Like this, I, I think, mm-hmm. I think ownership is prepared to hope that they make the playoffs and get maybe, you know, two, like they did last season, two home playoff games and, and, and get that money. Um, I don't think it's fair to say they're absentee ownership. Like, I don't think they don't care about the on ice product, but I do think that their blind loyalty to David Poyle is, is hurting this franchise. And, and I think we can all agree. And I think I've said this before that the best possible thing that this franchise that could happen to this franchise is for them to miss the playoffs because there's no spinning that. There's no, you know, like last season when they made it in and lost to Colorado. Well, nobody expected us to be here. Well, there's none of that crap if they miss the playoffs. So I do think missing the playoffs would be, in the long run, the best thing that could happen to this franchise. And during that that press conference, Herb Fritsch cares. He wants to field a winning team. But it was very clear from the way he was answering questions that he doesn't really know the ins and out of this franchise other than he's just the kind of the face of the ownership group. He, he He's very content with sitting in his area, watching the game and not being bothered. He, is, he doesn't want to be at the forefront of any of this. And it was very clear from the questions we were asking him that he was almost relieved that Bill Haslam was going to be taking over as a majority owner because Bill Haslam is someone who is not afraid to stand up and answer the tough questions. Herb Fritsch doesn't want to do that. And when we were asking him questions about David Poyle's future, it almost seemed as if he was just bewildered that we would even ask these questions because David Poyle has you know, a Hall of Fame resume, but it's very clear that David Poyle should be coming to the end of his run with the Predators. But it just seemed like Herb Fritsch was very just bewildered that we were asking him these questions. Like, like Adam said, like, David's the hockey expert. We leave all this stuff up to him. Well, that that therein lies the problem. You're leaving. David Poyle doesn't really have anyone to answer to other than himself. That is the biggest one of the biggest issues with this team. And I, and I don't think Bill Haslam's going to come in and clean house. I do think there might be a little bit more accountability and we might get some more. I don't want to say FaceTime, but we might get some more answers from ownership than we do get now. But I, I don't think Bill Haslam's going to come in and new head coach, new GM, and just there's not going to be all these sweeping changes like everyone kind of hopes there will be. So so part of the reason I wanted to have both you guys on together was to, in, in part to help pull me along into this sort of place that I think the two of you already are, which is we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon. If if you're listening to this on Thursday afternoon, uh, the Preds won't play again until Anaheim on late at night, probably on Friday, and then they'll play Vegas on Saturday. If before those two games, they got a little couple-day break here, if John Hines is no longer the coach and UC Saros has been traded, are you guys okay with that? What What's the trade return for Saros? I, I'm just <laughs> some, something good, something worth the move, something that is clearly assigned to the fans that enough is enough. You know, David Poyle's going to be in charge of this teardown, but, you know, we're going to have to, we'll find another GM at the end of the year, like lay out the plan. I'm just saying if the rebuild actually does start this week, you two are both okay with that. Yes. Yes. Man. Then what? I, I, so, I think it, I think it kind of depends too. If John Hines is gone, that doesn't necessarily convince me that a rebuild is going to happen because they could get rid of John Hines and call up Carl Taylor and still try to make a run at this because David Poyle is famous for trying to do stuff like that. If John Hines is gone and they have an interim coach and they're they're taking their time and they're they're putting forth an effort in a coaching search for someone for next season and Saros is traded, to me, that signals, okay, they're going a rebuild. But just because John Hines may or may not 
have a job with the team anymore. To me, that that single that singular move doesn't show me that they're committed to a rebuild. It's it's funny. Like I was asking that question under the assumption that it would signal a complete rebuild. Like GM's gone, head coach is gone, trade all your best pieces, tank for Bedard, the whole deal, right? And like even your answer is telling that we don't even trust that to be like a full blown effort from the front office and from the ownership group. And I also it would think, be yeah. the most David Poyle thing ever to <laughs> fire John Hines, go out and get someone else and say, we're, we still believe we're a playoff team. We're going to make oh, another God. run at this thing. Like, could you not see that happening? No, I know. I no, that's what I'm saying. Like, I wasn't asking that question like that. And now you've like put that into my head. And now I'm terrified that that's, what's going to happen is that they're going to do a, another halfway thing. And, and the halfway thing isn't, isn't the thing anymore. Yeah. Again, look at the optics around this team. The arch rival is going after the number one pick, right? Complete and full and utter teardown. The arch rival in your sport, in your division, the one who's got three rings, is going to try to re- replicate that again. And the other professional franchise in your in your city is is firing the arch- the most successful general manager in franchise history. These are not good market forces around your franchise. Well, I think it goes back to the Mark Lazarus story that we talked about last week. Like, the Blackhawks, no one should try to be the Blackhawks given what came out about them. But in terms of doing a rebuild, they are doing it the right way. They, I think Mark said they had, what, six picks in the in the top three rounds, like each of the next two drafts. They have a bunch of cap space. Right. Like they have guys that they could still trade Taves and Kane and still get some some good return back from them. Like they're they're going about the rebuild the right way. Predators fans, I don't know if they have the patience to to let it get that bad and go through three or four years of that to get to a Connor Bedard, but that's essentially what needs to happen for this franchise to get to that point. Yeah, I I, I agree. So again, I know we've done this exercise before, Adam. You're you're a little bit more national now in terms of glancing at the league. Mm-hmm. Is it possible over the next eight weeks that? UC Saros, Dante Fabro. Um, I don't know what pieces. I like Matt Duchesne is still has one. This is the last year in which he has the no trade. Like there's, there's, there's. Boyle can move him at any point. There's no no trade clause. Maybe they half the contract has now been eaten up by the Predators. There's only three years left in the deal. Johansson's only got two left. Like what are the? I know we've done this exercise before, all three of us. But if you're going to do it now, and you've got eight weeks to do it, ten weeks to do it, and there's no signs of life over the next few weeks, what does the bill? What does that look like to you? I mean, is it all hands on deck? Are you keeping Yossi and Forsberg, and that's it? What 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 do you what do you do? Because the the Blackhawks traded like every young player they had. If you were like halfway good and you even had a pulse, you were traded. Right, but the difference is that Alex DeBrincat and Kirby Doc had value. I mean, what, <laughs> what, what Predators young player has value? Ellie Dolvenin is gone, and even before he was gone, his value was in uh, in the toilet because of the fact that he wasn't playing very much. Philip Tomasino is in the American League after playing a full season in the NHL. I mean, there th- this team doesn't have. That many, I mean, Tanner Janot is ha- Tanner Janot has disappeared. You know, he just is not, you know, not the same player this season as he was last year when he was, you know, one of the best stories, you know, on the team and, and among, you know, among all players in the, in the league. But, you know, you know, my opinion is it's to your point. I think it's all hands on deck in the sense that Philip Forsberg doesn't have to go anywhere if he doesn't want to because he's got a full no movement clause. Roman Yossi doesn't have to go anywhere. Because you got a full moon movement clause. Ryan McDonough 
can choose to stay. He's got a full no trade clause right now. But I'm looking at their cap friendly page. I'm looking at players that have, you know, a little bit of term left. I mean, Nino Niederreiter has another mm-hmm. year after this year. He's their leading goal scorer. Granlund. I think he's a good player. He could probably fetch something. Granlund's got two years after this at five million. I think it's going to be hard to move that. Um, you know, Tanner Genoa is an RFA after this. You know, after this season, um, you look at the blue line. Dante Fabro's an RFA. I mean, if you're looking to fetch something of value, I think it, you have to look at Fabro. I think you have to look at. Um, I think you have to look at Niederreiter, and I think you strongly. I think you have to strongly consider looking at UC Soros mm-hmm. because I think when it comes down to it, and this is often the conversation people have when it comes to rebuilding. So UC Saros is, is what? Is he 26, 27? You know, he's in his mid to late 20s. He's in that range. If you are tearing this thing down, by the time he is, by the time you hope that this thing is back on track, he's going to be an older goalie. You've got a Skarov in the system. You can have Kevin Lankin in. He's got starting experience. It's not very good starting experience, but he has starting experience. You, you, can, don't, you, know, you don't want him to be good, though. <laughs> I, I know exactly. You, you need to trade for David Riddick is what you need to do. <laughs> well, <laughs> David Riddick is actually having a, a enjoying himself in Winnipeg. No, I know playing well, but the but the thing is, I would I would strongly consider trading UC Soros. You could get a ton for him. He's got two years left at five million. I mean, that's a that is a fabulous rate for a, for a starting goaltender with a Vezina. Trophy, uh, mm-hmm. you know, res, you know, Vezina Trophy finalist, you know, appearance on his resume, uh, for lack of a better phrase. Um, I think that's what I, to me, the top three assets on this team that could that could actually they could actually see being moved just based on con, you know contractual situation is Nino Niederreiter because a team at the top that needs that veteran scoring presence would I'm sure would go after him. Dante Fabro and UC Saros, not necessarily in that order, but those were the three that I would look at. Man, I, so is, is Michael that the signal? Then it's it's. I mean, if Soros is moved, that's the signal to everybody that this is the real deal. That, yeah, that I mean, I don't know how you can trade him and still convince yeah. anyone that, that you're going to try and be competitive. I, I do think, I think those three, like I said, not in that order, but I think those are probably the three most attractive trade assets to to a potential team. If Tanner Janot hadn't fallen off a cliff, I would have thrown him in there as well. But his, his trade value is not very high right now, and it, it, he had a really good season last year. And you would like to think that maybe he could find that if he, he did get like a change of scenery trade, but I just don't think he has a lot of trade value. Like, like Adam said, Granlin's contract might prohibit him from being an attractive asset. But if, if you find a team that's willing to take a flyer on the salary, I think he could bring back, you know, maybe a, a useful mid to late round draft pick, but they don't, they don't have a lot right now in terms other than UC Saros. that's going to bring you back the, the combination of prospects and draft picks that you need to really kickstart a rebuild. Go to Jasper's, everybody. Um, just <laughs> all these good, happy feels. Go get, yourself, beer. go get yourself $3 beers, $10 smash burgers. Don't pay for parking and have a great time watching anything other than Nashville Predators hockey. I, I don't think anything's happening soon, but I've reached the point where I'm not going to be surprised by anything. If we wake up tomorrow morning and John Hines is not the coach, I'm not surprised by it anymore. I'm not, I'm not surprised. Uh, I think if anything happens to David Poyle in the middle of the season, that would be surprising, um, a la the Titans and John Robinson. But until UC Soros is the name in the headline, in the tweet from the Nashville Predators, uh, they have not started the rebuild yet, in my opinion. So I'm giving them a couple more weeks, guys, but that's about it. 
Um, Adam, where can people find you? They can find me at sportsnet.ca, uh, where I can, uh, where I uh, have been uh, writing a lot of. Well, it's my job to write data-driven stories. Um, I just wrote one the other day about the Winnipeg Jets. Um, I haven't written much about the Predators because I don't think people in Canada want to read about the mm. Predators. Here's some data-driven <laughs> analysis for you. The Predators are the suckiest bunch of sucks we've ever that have ever sucked. That's the data-driven analysis. Uh, at Adam Vingan, of course, on Twitter. Michael, what about you? you? Find me on the Nashville Post and the Nashville Scene and on Twitter at MGSports underscore. Oh, this was fun, boys. This was a lot of fun. This is excellent. Just all the good, all the good feels, all the good vibes, all the good times. Happy holidays. Hope everybody had a Merry Christmas. Uh, we'll be back next week. <laughs> we'll see you guys. Have a great weekend, everybody. This has been the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network.